the spirit washes over me. Again, I don't know what this feeling is. Mm-hmm. And I hear my mother's voice and I feel her love say, Shelly, I love you and everything will be okay. Then a short time after that, it's Christmas time. I'm at the mall and my mom's my mom loves shoes and Baker Shoes was her favorite store. I, I'm walking down the mall and I look over and I look and I swear I see her in this Baker shoe store. Well, I hurry around the, the bench and the thing that was in my way. I go in the store. Now, mind you, it's the height of Christmas season. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the busiest malls in the area. I go in the store. Not only is nobody in the store, not even the workers were in this front of the store. They were in the back. So I'm like, oh, you're just seeing things. You're going crazy. You know, you're slipping into the depression, whatever. I walk out as I'm walking out again, the sensation washes over me. I feel my mother and I hear her. Shelly, I love you and everything will be okay. It is time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. And uh, before we get into this, a huge shout out to uh, Portia Louder, a previous guest of the Cultural Hall, who said, you know who you need to talk to is my friend Shelly Edwards Jorgensen. And so that is where this episode comes from. And that is who is on this episode. Shelly, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks, Richie, for having me. And thanks, Portia, for telling Richie about me. You know, uh, her, her story, if you haven't gone gone back and listened to her story, she did an episode uh, in the cultural hall, and I'll leave that link in the show notes. Just tremendous and uh, a heart of gold and a provider of some of the greatest episodes, uh, no pressure, Shelly, uh, that we've had <laughs> since Portia was on. She will, from time to time, send me a text message. It's like, have you had this person? And if not, you need to. And so... Uh, I'm excited to be able to get to know you and and get to hear your story and be able to to share your story with everyone else. When when people say it's that existential question, who is Shelley Edwards Jorgensen? What do you what's your go to response? Uh, that's an interesting question. I would have to say, well, I'm a lot of things, uh-huh. but probably uh, a survivor would be the thing that stands out the most. <laughs> I mean, I'm a I'm a mother, a stepmother, an engineer, a, a wife, a, an aunt, a, a lot of things. But I'm I'm a survivor, and I've uh, I've traveled a road of adversity like everybody else has. And but some of mine has been uh, more extreme than normal, and um, a lot more of it. And so I'm out here. I I published my memoir, Beautiful Ashes in a hope that I can tell my story and, and give people an idea that even the worst things that can happen don't have to destroy you or define you. I'm trying to provide hope in adversity because we all face it and we all we all encounter it every single day to a different degree. And it's it's part of it's what I've learned is it's just it's part of the human experience. And it's what we need to experience to actually learn and grow. You know, it's funny, some of the way that you kind of cue up this conversation that we'll have, certainly that's why you're here. We're going to talk about some of the adversity that that you have faced within your life. Uh, But I, I, I got headlong involved in a conversation on social media today about broken versus damaged and how there's a perception um, where if we're, if we are broken, 
that is that means and denotes one thing and another means damaged. And there were certainly cases to be made on, on both sides. But interesting to notice that you just mentioned that it's adversity. We don't need to give it a label of how it's placed on us. It's just something that occurs in our lives. There will always be adversity. And, and as you mentioned also, uh, maybe you got more than your more more than your fair dose. What are you talking about? Let's start. Let's start from the beginning. Or do you feel like you got your fair dose of adversity? Well, that's what I was just going to say. I don't think any of us get more than our fair dose. I think that we're all born with unique uh, strengths and weaknesses and skills and abilities. And the end goal is the same: is for us to progress and to learn and to develop. As in my opinion. Um, as many Christ-like attributes as you can, whether it's patience, long-suffering, endurance, um, humility even, and kindness. I mean, ultimately, charity, right? We we all are striving for, the, for those goals, or we should be anyway. Mm-hmm. And how does, how do you learn those things? You don't, you don't learn patience if you don't have to wait. And patience isn't just about waiting. It's about waiting with the right attitude. And endurance uh, well, heck, that's that's not a short, that's not a short experience. That's a long experience. So it's long suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, humility. Um, you know, President Benson back in the 80s gave a huge um talk about pride and how that's kind of the one of the root of all evils. Well, what's the the opposite of pride is humility. And you can be proud of yourself and your accomplishments, but still be humble and recognize where you're getting the abilities from. And we can't lose sight of that. But like for, for me, I, I, I like to say that I've kind of experienced the cornucopia of trauma. I mean, I've experienced, I know that my trauma is not the same as say somebody else's trauma, but because of inherently who I am, you know, and, and who you are, Heavenly Father loves us all equally. And so we're all required to be pushed to what our limit is. So the mechanism in which we get to the limit where we learn patience or we get to the limit where we learn charity or empathy or compassion is different for each one of us. That's why our adversity is different. But it doesn't mean that, um, and you know, not to drop the bomb, but people that don't mind know my story, but I, I grew up with uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, alcoholic as a father. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the tip of the iceberg here is that when I was 15, he murdered my mother and burned our house down. So that's only one small piece. Well, it's a large piece, but it's one example of many um, obstacles and traumas and adversities that I've experienced in my life. And, um, you know, if I'm going to measure that against something else, you're, you know, it would be easy to say, oh, well, that's the bigot. That's that's this big. And, you know, this person's adversity is this big. No, that's not true. It's that that was. Yes, it is this big. But to me, it's what was required for me to, to propel me to, to have the opportunities I needed to learn so that I could develop the skills that I need to develop so that I can um, serve and, and be the person who Heavenly Father needs me to be. And so, um, but it, trust me, it took decades for me to figure that out and um, to not be, you know, kicking against the pricks and saying, why me all the time? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that that's just the, the beginning of, of, of where I started. 
Let, let's dial it back then. I think that, uh, I mean, certainly that is for people that are like, oh, Shelly Jorgensen, this sounds like a, you know, that, that sounds like a nice name. This will be a, a an easy listen today. I'm sure <laughs> they went, wait, what? So, so take us back to the early years, wherever you'd like to pick up chronologically what your story is. Certainly some before that time being 15. Give me an idea of upbringing of where we're at, of what year-ish we're at. I know you may be sometimes oh, yeah. <laughs> generalized <laughs> about the age, but take me there. Yeah, I don't care that everyone knows I'm about to be 53. So <laughs> the event that I talked about with the fire happened in 1985 and I was 15. So um, so I I grew up in the in the 70s, you know, and domestic violence was looked at completely differently then than it is now. But the progress is uh, not as great as it should be. I'll just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's a whole nother, uh, multifaceted podcast on, uh, on that. But so my dad, <clears throat> I didn't grow up LDS and, um, my, my dad, like I said, was, uh, a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, uh, alcoholic. So what that means is I had experiences with my dad where, you know, he, we, I grew up in Michigan in the suburbs of Detroit, upper middle class, you know, the, the, the picture was the, the leave it to beaver perfection on the outside, but mm -hmm. it was a train wreck on the inside. And what, what, we, was it, a, was it a concerted effort by both of your parents to portray that perfect thing from the outside looking in, or did it just happen to be that way? And then within the walls, you knew what was really going on. Uh, I think both. Okay. I think both. Um, my, I mean, even my mother, which again, my parents were both born in the thirties. My mother has had a bachelor's degree education. That was, mm. that was unique for, for that, for that age of a, of a female. And it wasn't a nurse or a teacher. She, she had a business degree. And so, you know, we, we, we grew up at, I grew up in Farmington Hills, which was, is one, uh, one of the premier, um, uh, suburbs of Detroit. And at the, at the time we lived in the, the, the hot new neighborhood. It was a custom built home. I actually helped build the house. My, my dad designed it and built it. He's very skilled. Hmm. And, um, you know, so there's this dichotomy where I'm, I literally, I'm six years old and my dad's teaching me how to put wire and outlet because I'm, I'm his right hand man. I have a older sister and, um, you know, or he's taking us to the beach at Lake Huron by our cottage and letting us ride his back while he's swimming like Shamu in the, in the water. Hmm. But then that same night he could, I could have been riding like Shamu. And, uh, that same night I could have been stopping him from trying to strangle my mother while he's threatening to kill us all and burn the house down <sighs> or any other myriad of, of threats. Um, and violence. And so there's this pattern that, you know, uh, starts from the very beginning. And you learn at a very young age that you don't talk, you don't, you, I, my, I was taught to not even talk. And so I talk about in my book about how there's these, I call them the morning after breakfast. So, you know, Saturday night, or, uh, and like I said, I grew up Catholic. So we always went and my dad didn't always go to church. He was a Christmas and each Easter kind of guy, but my mom and my sister and I would go every week and we usually would go on Saturday night. Mm -hmm. And so, 
you know, these events would often happen on, on the weekends because that's when drinking was heavier. And so literally I could go, my sister and I could go from trying to stop my dad from ripping my mother's tongue out and she's got scratches on her neck and, and everything else on Saturday night, we're fleeing and hiding in a corner to the next morning, waking up to home cooked uh, bacon and hash browns that my dad's making. And we're sitting down for these quote unquote morning after breakfasts. Mom's got scratches on her neck, can hardly talk. Lisa and I are sitting there knowing that we can't even speak and we're supposed to pretend like nothing happened. And that was the pattern over and over and over and over and over again. And let, so let me interject real quick. So uh, uh, from experiences that I've had the opportunity to chat with other people, some didn't know that it was that it was either wrong or that this wasn't the experience in everyone else's home because you just sort of know your own home, especially at yeah. this time. Was this something that you recognized as, I mean, I guess I have a few questions, something that you recognized as wrong or just was as it was. Was it something that you were talking with other people about? Give me an idea of as a child, like your awareness as to the level that this was wrong. You don't, you know that it's wrong. Mm-hmm that the behavior is wrong. And I, and I talk about an experience in, in the book where, you know, a lot of people think, Oh, well, they're young. They're dead. They don't know mm-hmm. where my mom was picking. My mom and dad had dropped us off at our grandparents. And when my parents came to pick us up at the end of the weekend, my mom was wearing sunglasses because she had a black eye. Mm. Well, I knew that my dad had done that and I knew, but she was lying to me about what happened. And I'm, and I'm like, okay, there's something wrong here. So I knew that it was wrong. And I knew that it was dangerous. And I knew you learn all those things, how to walk on the eggshells to try to steady the boat, so to speak. But you don't know that this isn't normal and it's not going on everywhere mm-hmm. to this degree. Now, yeah. everybody argues, right? So so there's there's always disagreements, but but there's not always violence. And so you, until you're much older, you don't figure that out. By, but by that, time you're already programmed you've already lost your voice you've already you've already been trained on how to risk how to um discredit abuse and um and accept it and so that sets you up for further abuse mm-hmm. even in, even yourself i be i ended up being a, a victim of molestation as a child in rape as a teenager twice So, but it's, and I didn't speak about it. You know, people will say, oh, well, if they were raped, then why didn't they say anything? Well, you know, when I told the first person after 20 years of therapy and, and a a lifetime about one of the rapes that happened to me, I was 45 years old and I was writing my book and my best friend was talking to me about this trip that it happened on. And she saw a look on my face and she says, Shelly, what happened in England? And I told her for the first time. Because I still felt I still felt somewhat responsible, and I was still carrying the shame for being a victim of that. Mm-hmm. And 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 so there's so much, so many layers, and so much complexity. It's like you you, you got to step back and assume that that everyone is doing their best to cope with because there is no playbook for life, sure. and everybody's life is different. So you're you're trying to manage things with the skill sets that you have at the time. And 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 it's a continual growing process. 
you know, and one of the things for me that that stood out to that was, I don't know if you remember this or not, but President Hinckley, I think he was like 95 years old. Mm-hmm. And he's he makes this statement about how every single time he goes to the temple or reads his scriptures, that he's learning something new. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Mind blown. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I changed my perspective and said, you know what? I, I need to continue to be teachable. I need to continue to seek after. And, and it's not that I wasn't doing that, but I, I, I need to accept the fact that I don't know. I only know what I know. I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, and, and everybody's that way. And so we, we, we make choices and um, decisions based on our knowledge and experience. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. All, all that. And to say, you know, as we, as we're sort of walking out your particular experience, I mean, that, that is a unique experience to say the least unique to you. Certainly you would be the first to say that, but if I'm, if I'm sort of chronologically and following along with this, then, then as I'm to understand it, as a younger child, you were molested as a teenager, you were raped. And then as a mid teenager is when your father kills your mother and sets your house on fire. Is that Yep. And then that gets, and then it gets worse. So, um, like, well, just to give you a scope as, um, um, I was molested at 11 on a family vacation to Acapulco. Okay. Okay. Another thing, how many 11 year olds are going to Acapulco with their parents? Sure. Well, my parents had been going for years to the same spot with a group of friends and they developed acquaintances there from different parts of the country. And this man that my parents was acquaintances with ended up molesting me um, on that vacation. So fast forward three months, the the year that I turned 15, um, I don't know how I survived. So in July of 1985, I was 15 and my, my grandmother was born in Scotland and went to England in the UK every year for a month. This year, my parents and my sister and I went with her to visit family and, and, and whatnot. Well, at the end of the trip, we were staying at my mom's cousin's house who just happened to have teenage sons about the same age as me and my sister. My sister's two years older than me. Mm-hmm. And they send us to go to this. They allowed us to go to this teenage kind of nightclub pub. Well, there's no drinking age in England. So I'm feeling really cool that I'm drinking my first beer. Mm-hmm. And um, I start dancing with this guy that's in his mid twenties, and I, I, I was happily engaged in doing that. And we got hot, and he suggested we go outside. I was also happily engaged with the prospect of maybe he was going to kiss me. Mm-hmm. Well, no, he ends up raping me in a field. Mm-hmm. I come in again, because of my training, same thing with what happened in Mexico. I don't tell anyone. I clean myself up. I'm crying in the bathroom. I'm, I disguise what happened and I hide what happened and I move on. And, um, um, so that was July, October is when I, I literally, and I probably should tell what happened at the, during the fire. Um, and I'll try to summarize because I mean, my book, it, my book's on Audible. It's almost 12 hours. So, sure. but there's and, people, a, a and there will span. be a link in the show notes for people that want not only to hear it. Is it narrated by yourself? 
No, I, I had a narrator. Uh, or they can be able to purchase uh, the book. So there will be that link for them to be able to get it. Because I know, and and most people listening will know, there's no way that we can cram in your entire life <laughs> into little less than an hour. If, if there was, man. Yeah. Uh, but that link is available for folks. So go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So, so because of this pattern of domestic violence, on October 14th, my, my sister had gotten in trouble at school. Um, she had a class that met across town at a different high school and she was on her way back and her and two of her friends from this class stopped at the party store and they decided the girls that were with her decided they were going to shoplift beer. Well, all three of them got arrested. Well, that's not good in any family, Sure, but in my family, that's even worse. And so, um, my dad he worked as a designer for Ford. And in the 80s, CAD was so new and so expensive, they had to run them 24 7. So he was on the afternoon shift. And um and for people who don't know CAD, that's uh, essentially uh, like a like a drawing, like a CAD uh, AutoCAD is what you hear most often. Uh it's like a software, like a uh, yeah, it's this, system of sorts. It's what they use to design the cars. Okay. It's the computer system. And so so anyway, he, he when I got um, my sister had her varsity basketball practice right after school because after she got arrested, my dad had to pick her up, dropped her back off at school. I'm hearing rumors. I never talked to my sister. Her she was on the varsity basketball team, and her practice was immediately after school, and mine was um, uh, after hers because I was on junior varsity. So I came home on the bus and I walk in the door and hear my dad standing in his bathrobe drunk. And, uh, and I knew that was a problem because he should be getting ready to go to work. He was making meatloaf and now he's crying about what, what, where he went wrong as a parent. Well, I'm not answering that question. So I escape, (laughs) I call and Oh, here's another part of the story. That's uniquely LDS. And again, Heavenly Father's hand in saving my life is in July. So three months prior to this, a new mission president is called to Detroit. Hmm. That new mission president has a 15-year-old daughter. That 15-year-old daughter is going to my high school, the only Mormon that I know. Hmm. And she's on my basketball team and they live close to me. So the ride that I'm waiting for for basketball practice is this friend and her mother. Wow. And so Sabrina and her mom were going to be late. I had called my mom at work to, to arrange carpooling. She ends up talking um, to my dad and um, uh, I eavesdrop on their side of the conversation. Again, this is back in the eighties. I should have held the handset. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but <laughs> So as my, something unusual happened in that discussion is my dad started telling my mom what happened with my sister. And as any mother is going to be angry that their child is arrested for something that stupid or anything for that matter. Sure. And um, my, my dad's getting mad that my mom is getting mad Mm. because he had felt like the police had threatened and scared and punished enough And he had also promised my sister that he wasn't going to say anything to my mother until they got home together and could sit down and talk about it. 
So that was uh, enough of a red flag that I knew that there was going to be a problem as soon as my dad saw my mom. I, I knew that I had enough experience to know that this is going to be a problem. So I hang up the phone. And like I mentioned, is my friend uh, Sabrina uh, and her mom were late picking me up. Well, next thing you know, I hear the garage door open. So this is probably an hour had, I'm not an hour, about a half hour had passed since the phone call. So I'm like, okay, I need to create a diversion. I need to assess the safety of the situation. My sister I knew had my grandmother's car so she could drive herself home from practice. So my mom comes in and I make up this story that I need help um, with my geometry. And I sit down at the table with my mom and she's like, you know, if I knew that you were going to be here, I could have taken you to practice. And my dad is now sitting five feet away from us at the built-in mm. desk in the kitchen, still drinking. And he drank Manhattans, which are a lot stronger than beer. And so he's hammered at this point. And now I'm trying to create this diversion. So I, I create this diversion. I'm thinking, okay, no fight has broken out. Um, my ride is late. Lisa should be home any minute. It's safe for me to leave. So my, my, um, my ride gets here, hawks the horn. I kiss my mom, tell her I love her. I run out the front door. Well, I get to practice. My sister's still there. Uh, 20, 30 minutes later, the neighbors show up to pick us up to say that there's a fire at our house. And um, so on the ride home, <laughs> this is another irony, is, is as I'm asking, well, where's my dad? Where's my mom? What's going on? And so the neighbor, who I'm very close to, uh, um, she she's saying, oh, well, your dad's at our house. And and, you know, the fire trucks are there. They got the fire under control, blah, 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 blah. Well, well, she's having, I'm having this conversation from the back seat with Mrs. Seidel. This dumb song comes on the radio that was popular in the 80s. Uh, the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. Uh -huh. So my sister's singing these lyrics. As I'm asking the question, where's mom? Yeah. And Mrs. Zidell looks in her rear mirror and she says to me, oh, well, she's not home from work yet. Right then, I punch my sister in the leg and I say, Lisa, shut up. Mom was home before I left. At that moment, I knew, my sister knew that she was dead. And then my dad did it. Well, the whole night unfolds. That is what happened. But my dad wasn't arrested right away. I'm watching on the 11 o'clock news on all the major news networks, literally video footage of my house on fire uh, because there was some freelance photographer in the area that was there before the fire department was even there. And um, they're saying that, that they suspect arson and that this 50 year old woman and names my mom's name, Marlene um, had died. Hmm. So for the next two and a half years, I had to live with my dad, knowing oh my that he murdered my mother, trying to force myself to believe he didn't and want to believe his story because he de he denied it to his dying breath. And so um, so all this stuff is happening. I mean, there's just so much to the story. And, and so. <clears throat> So that happens in October. So I told you what happened in July. So in October, then in um, 
February was time to go to Mexico again. My dad thought, okay, well, I'm going to buy us tickets to go to Mexico. Well, obviously the cops figured out that he was leaving the country and had him arrested and indicted for murder and arson. My sister and I had to bail him out of prison. And then he ends up sending us to Mexico with our older cousins because he already bought the tickets. Well, lo and behold, the guy that molested me as 11-year-old ends up raping me again. And I find myself on top of the building trying to decide if I want to kill myself at that point. Oh, my gosh. But that's the heaviness of the story of that part of the time. In the meantime, the mission home (laughs) becomes my... Um, home away from home. I'm spending the night there so many. I'm, I didn't even know what a Mormon was until July of 1985. All I knew is I was mad that, that BYU had beat Michigan in the Holiday Bowl the year before. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I start asking, I, I start asking my friend Sabrina all these questions. And I'm asking questions and questions. And and so um and everything that she's telling me like is ringing tr- true. I'm trying to figure out how do you enjoy going to church for three hours when I'm like dying at 45 minutes. Right. <laughs> so, so, um, so we're ha- every, every weekend I had like this black and white weekend going on on Friday nights. I'm going out with my sister and partying and smoking pot and drinking on Saturday nights. I'm spending the night at the mission home. I'm having these theological conversations that are, that I'm learning about the gospel. And, um, and, and then in the meantime, I start having these experiences that I've also not tell telling anybody about because I thought it was crazy because the first basketball game that I was a three sport athlete and, um, and my mom never missed anything in my life. And I started playing organized sports when I was six years old. So, um, so the first basketball game after my mom's funeral and I went back to school was tough and it was a way game and I was a guard and I was pretty good at stealing the ball and having a breakaway layups. Sure. It happened I, all the time. And so I, I steal the ball right before halftime. I'm driving the lane and Richie, I hear my mother. Hmm. I look, I see my mother. I feel my mother. She's cheering for me. I, of course, brick the shot thinking, what in the world? (laughs) And then, and then again, the spirit washes over me again. I don't know what this feeling is. Mm -hmm. And I hear my mother's voice and I feel her love say, Shelly, I love you and everything will be okay. Wow. So that's two weeks after then, then a short time after that, it's Christmas time. I'm at the mall and my mom's, my mom loved shoes and Baker shoes was her favorite store. I I'm walking down the mall and I look over and I look and I swear, I see her in this Baker shoe store. Well, I hurry around the, the bench and the thing that was in my way. I go in the store. Now, mind you, it's the height of Christmas season. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the busiest malls in the area or is the busiest mall in the area. I go in the store. Not only is my, is nobody in the store, not even the workers were in this front of the store. They were in the back. So I'm like, Oh, you're just seeing things. You're going crazy. 
you know, you're slipping into the depression, whatever. I walk out as I'm walking out again, the sensation washes over me. I feel my mother and I hear her, Shelly, I love you and everything will be okay. So I still say nothing because I think everyone's going to think I'm, uh, you know, losing my mind. Sure. Um, by this point, we are living in my best friend's growing up house that's right behind our burned out house. My dad is sending me to the house to get canned goods out of the basement to a murder scene that's sure. um, scarier than any haunted house you can ever imagine. Um, and so things are just getting worse and worse and worse. So now I'm laying in my bed one night and I'm having these, I, every night at this point, I'm having reoccurring nightmares, can't sleep, reoccurring nightmares. So I'm laying with my back turned towards the door and like just overcome with just, I don't even know what to say. I just the worst feeling possible. And the next thing you know, and I had my eyes open and I was laying with my back to the door, the, my light, my room started filling with light. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming, okay, my sister's just coming in, open the door. And this is the light from the hallway. No, it was not. I roll over and here comes my mom in this light. And again, I feel her, I seeing her and the same message. I love you and Shelly, everything will be okay. Wow. And so and then, and then she's gone and the light's gone and it's just me. Well, I hadn't heard the Joseph Smith story yet. Mm -hmm. So, so when I I'm sitting here at this point, I'm sitting here going, how am I going to tell anybody about these experiences? Right. And then, and the next, you know, sleepover or whatever that I'm having in these discussions that I'm having with my friend she tells me this story and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so then I knew I wasn't crazy. And then it just goes on from there. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, uh, I want to take this uh, opportunity. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to pick up um, sort of in the end of that two and a half years when you're living with dad. And then I'm, I mean, I know we, we, our time is limited, unfortunately, just because there's a, a limit to time, but I want to know, Certainly, uh, as you're able to look back on this, uh, you can see the Lord's hand in your life. But there have been other experiences since 1985 uh, that that have brought you not only um, faith but also adversity. And I and I want to kind of talk uh, uh, since then and uh, and moving forward, sort of preparation. What what those events growing up have brought you in your adulthood. So we'll come back and we'll do that in the second block of the cultural hall. Best DJ in Utah.com. It's been a while since we've had a new one of these and I apologize for that. It's because I've been so busy DJing events all over the country uh, but especially here in Utah, been able to do some great, uh, you know, weddings. I've done a, a prom or two for different listeners of the Cultural Hall. I love it when you uh, reach out to me at bestdjinutah.com, or uh, you can find the phone number online as well. I would love it if you say, hey, I heard about you on the Cultural Hall, because maybe, just maybe, I give a Cultural Hall discount. Uh, all sorts of events. It doesn't have to be a, a wedding. It could be a community event. Maybe it's a ward or youth activity. I'm doing one of those this summer. In fact, just lock the deal down on that. 
uh, whatever it may be. If you need music to accompany your event or you just need a great MC, I would love to be able to help you out. You're simply going to need to go to bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember, we have an email address where you can always recommend guests and sometimes people recommend themselves. It's contact at theculturalhall.com. Uh, reach out. You can say, oh, you know, I loved Shelly Jorgensen. I have a Shelly Jorgensen in my life that you need to know about. You can send that along. Contact at theculturalhall.com and uh, let us know. And that may be a future episode. So Shelly, I mean, people need to check out the book, Beautiful Ashes, right? Link in the show notes. They can be able to purchase it or or do that to be able to hear more. We're sort of, I I hesitate to use the word highlights because I don't think that they're highlights, but we're (laughs) taking snapshots, vignettes of, of different parts of your life. After two and a half years, your dad goes away to jail i presume and you are then forced to live without a mom because she you know was murdered and a dad because he is incarcerated take me there and then take me from there to here and hit all the highlights and you got 20 minutes <laughs> okay well for for starters um i had to be the star witness for the prosecution and oh. risk my life to tell uh, the testimony that the judge ended up throwing out because I couldn't remember exact dates of things that he said along the way. But, you know, you'll have to read all that. (laughs) Um, And and, uh, it was the 80s, so there was no CPS. Mm -hmm. um, Child Protective Services. Yeah, I mean, there was, but they, they never even spoke to me. So um, my sister and I had to manage to find our own way. Um, Fortunately for me, I I actually ended up moving in with the mission president. I got baptized in 1987, um, just shy of my 17th birthday. So by the time my dad went to prison, I was a member of the church. I ended up uh, going to BYU, studying engineering. I graduated uh, in engineering and then came back to Detroit uh, to work for Ford uh, to design cars. I ended up getting a, a master's degree and, um, but, and, and then my dad ended up dying of prison or dying of cancer in prison in 1997. And so, uh, was there hesitation on your behalf? Cause I, I think that for some right, Michigan is this time in your life where all these terrible things happened and to be able to leave that in the rear view mirror, I think that there's a lot of people that that's how they deal with it. And that's no sort of slight. They just go, I can't go back there. That's not a thing. That's my past. I'll deal with it in the present and moving forward. But you are very physically now going back to the places that would remind you about, you know, this horrible, not only childhood, but this horrible experience within your childhood. Was there hesitation to do that? Or or was that part of the healing? Well, I, I think that I also realized, well, there's a lot of things that drove me back here is I always wanted to be a, an engineer in the auto industry. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it was excruciatingly painful for me to save myself, move to California my senior year and leave my sister here to fend for herself, even though I'm the younger sister. Mm -hmm. And, and so, um, there was those things. And, but if you're, if you're honest, you realize you don't un, you don't outrun your trauma. It doesn't matter where you are. It is there. You have to face it and you have to deal with it. You know, people want to say, oh, alcohol or marijuana is the gateway drug. No, it is not. Trauma is the gateway drug. And, um, and it doesn't have to be trauma as severe as what I've experienced to be trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, um, by the time I was in my mid thirties, I had just finished my, my MBA. I had my dream job. I owned my own home, but it, the only thing I wanted from the time I was 15 was to be married and have my own family. Plus you're going to church every Sunday and that's getting drilled into you. Sure. And, and so now I'm in my mid thirties. I haven't dated in at that point, seven years hadn't had a date because the dating pool was shallow. And, um, and also I would imagine as other people have reflected to me that basically trust in anyone. And, and there's a certain element of putting yourself out there to date that you have to trust, even if it's just a very shallow amount of trust to allow yourself to be out on a date that, that, that can impact that part of your life as well. It absolutely does. And so I'm still on the outside because again, I was trained on how to make everything on the outside look good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) While the inside, I was miserable. I'm praying to die every day at this point. And I, but on paper, life is great. I have no reason to feel that way, but it's because I didn't, I hadn't addressed everything that I needed to address. I started at BYU going to therapy and I went on and off for like 15 years to, to, to therapy, but I still was this miserable. And that's another thing that people aren't aware of is that therapy is not one size fits all either. There's many different modalities. And just because you tried talk therapy, that didn't even work for me. I had to, I used these techniques that this was in like 2005, I was using EMDR and the technique that really saved me was called uh, NET or neuroemotional technique. Well, EMDR is now mainstream. I mean, even the VA is using it for PTSD and I certainly had PTSD and, um, uh, but back then it wasn't even heard of. So, you know, that was another lesson. You have to be open. What do you, what is the hurt in trying different things if, if there's a possibility for them to work. But the key to my healing came at this period of time, because back to what you were saying is the trust. I believed in God. Mm-hmm. I didn't trust him. Mm. I, I would testify of his, his existence. I would testify of the truth of the scriptures. I would testify of the things that I knew to be true but I still fundamentally couldn't allow myself to trust anybody. Hmm. Now that wasn't apparent to anybody, even the people closest to me. Sure. And so I, I finally found the right trauma therapy for me. And, and I had read the book by Robinson. Um, believing believe, Christ. Believing Christ. Yep. And, and, and the most profound statement I think that's in that book 
is it's very easy for us to believe that Christ exists, but it's very difficult for people to allow the belief, the belief in him to believe that he actually can heal us from all things, not just pay the price for our sins. The atonement is for healing. And it's not just, uh, you know, you have a severed arm and your, and your arm is going to heal. It's everything that you suffer. He suffered and he knows how to heal us. So I decided, okay, I need to believe in the atonement and learn how to apply it to myself. I also, and, and part of that comes with, you know, the only thing that we can give heavenly father is our will. Mm-hmm. So, so I chose to say, okay, Heavenly Father, I've been, I've been steering this ship now for 35 years, thinking I have the, this goal and that goal and that goal. And, and they're great. I, I have a bachelor's, I have a master's degree education. I, I have this, I have that, I have this. But what is your plan for my life? And how can I give you 100% of my will? And when I changed the, when I accepted the fact that Heavenly Father's plan accounts for all of this mess. And, and, and now I know that I have a, a mindset that most people don't about adversity. <clears throat> I look at all of it as an opportunity for growth. Not one thing is, not one thing, including the murder of your parent when you're a child is, is not an opportunity for growth but it's your choice whether you're going to make it a stepping stone or a stumbling block. Again, when I was 19 years old and I'm still getting manipulated from prison by my dad and I'm complaining to my therapist about this, that, and other, and how he makes me feel mm-hmm. um, this way. And the therapist is saying, nobody can make you feel anything. I was pissed. I'm like, what do you mean? He can't make me feel well. No, it is a choice. So um but we have to humble ourselves to be able to look at it that way. Look at, look, you know, and I'm not saying like toxic positivity. Sure. You, you, you have to, you're, you're going to have feelings about things when they come up. I mean, uh, I, I'm trying to speed through this, but like I told you, I was, the only thing I wanted was my own family. I didn't meet my husband till I was 40 years old. So guess what? Now I go through this process of healing. I'm I'm feeling great about myself. I'm in this great headspace. I'm 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 happy. I, I'm feeling joy. I get married. I'm not, I'm thinking I'm riding off into the sunset. Well, guess who gets deathly ill on their honeymoon? Ends up having to lose their career. And I spent the next seven years basically bedridden until I have another miraculous thing happen in my life where I get a blessing of healing and I'm healed. So obviously I didn't learn enough patience from the first 45 years. So, so I needed to, I needed more training. And, and, and um, so I started instead of looking at it, um, you know, the first thing when something happens to us, we want to say, why, why is this happening? Why, why, why? Well, for me, I've learned a hundred percent of the time it's because I need to learn something. So instead of, and, and the adversary wants you to waste your time on why, because why gets you to wallow in self-pity 
and depression mm-hmm. and uh, compare yourself to everybody else thinking everyone's got it so much easier. Well, they don't. I think it was Faust or Maxwell that said there's more equality and adversity than you think. Mm-hmm. So, um, so instead of asking the question, why? which you still kind of ask why, just so you can make the assessment <laughs> yeah. that, and, and remind yourself that you're, you're, there's something here for you to learn. I started asking the questions of what and how, what am I supposed to be learning and how do I take that knowledge to help myself and others? Because again, my philosophy is life is a team sport. We're here. You know, I don't win unless you win. And our goal is to try to help all of humanity succeed in their missions. And, and so that is my perspective now. And even, and, and again, I'm not perfect. So I do get frustrated sometimes with certain things. And, and I know that I have to recognize those things as a weakness that I have to continue to work on. But generally speaking, that's the attitude that I have now. And I look and I see, I see that everything that I've been through has been a gift. It's been an opportunity for me to develop skills. I know that I have skills and abilities that most people don't have to the level that I have, like empathy, for example. There's not been one person in my life that I have, I might not have had the exact experience, but I've had so many big experiences that I can extrapolate my experience and see things from their point of view and sucker them in a way from understanding and not just sympathy. And so there's a, there's a healing mechanism that happens there. So. Has there ever been a point? I, I, I like the way that you describe it as gifts. And I think some people listening to this are like, man, that that's some gift. That's a way of, of looking that, that, you know, that, Hopefully they can learn from your example and be able to to change that paradigm and be able to do that. Have you ever had the uh, the thought, the uh, experience, the question of, all right, can I ha- can this be the last gift? Can we be done? I've got plenty of gifts, or or <laughs> well, are, or are you at a point now where you just sort of embrace it and you're like, listen, I didn't know that I would be here, so there's no way I can know where I'll be by the end of life. Well, trust me. Um, <laughs> 15 years ago, I, I, I would have shot anybody that told me that what I've experienced was a gift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, uh, and, uh, again, you know, in the moment when, mm-hmm. when, when, when you're in the heat of the moment, of course, you're going to be feeling, oh, really? <laughs> but now I'm not, oh, why it's, oh, why am I so dumb? And I still need to be taught this, <laughs> So, um, because for me, that is my mindset and, um, and, you know, gifts is a, is a pretty strong term to call murder. My sister certainly wouldn't look at it as a gift, but she hasn't had the same journey as me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, uh, so I don't want to, I don't want to belittle how difficult all of this has been. It's excruciating difficult excruciatingly difficult it it's almost insurmountable um for for the vast majority but it's only because i i i mean i can like again i can see heavenly father's hand in this for me and his hand 
you know, was there all along placing these, these opportunities for me to continue to be guided in a, in such a way that I could learn the way that I've learned. And so that's why I've taken it. I know that I have a unique position. Mm-hmm. I know that I have a unique voice um, when I say the things that I say. And I know that it's not a normal perspective because it's, I didn't just flip a switch and get here either. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm out here trying to share my story to help as many people as I can, because I'm telling you the path to happiness is accepting that Heavenly Father's plan for you, no matter what it is, how hard it is or how easy it is, is the best thing for you and will lead to happiness if we embrace, because the only thing we can give him is our will. So if we're willing to give him our will, the blessings that he pours upon you for doing that are not even measurable. I'm, I briefly skimmed over. I, I, I'm telling you, I had 24 hour a day pain and nausea. I'm missing half of my internal organs. I almost died four times within the six for six first six months of marriage. I don't even have a stomach. So every single time I was eating, I was bedridden from nausea and pain. And that was every day for seven years until what? My mom shows up. It's not that I didn't have 1,500 priesthood blessings along the way because of, you know, however many surgeries I had. Mm-hmm. It was time. My, I'm, I talk about this story briefly in the book and um, is, in, is that... Um, she, she, she comes to me again and says, Hey, it's time to get a blessing of healing. You need to do this, 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 and this. Okay. I do this, 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 and this. And, um, to the point that I'm even having to pray about who the right person is to help my husband give me the blessing. Mm. And, um, not that every priesthood holder doesn't have the same power, sure, but they have different levels of faith. And, and so I flew across the country because the person that I felt inspired to help with this blessing lives in Utah now and not Michigan. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I had fasted before this, this blessing and, um, the, and after, uh, breaking my fast, I always was sicker. And, um, so being brilliant, like I, 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 I am, I decided to break my fast at Cafe Rio. Oh, perfect. So, so, so now I'm sitting in Cafe Rio in Orem. I can't even get up, up from the table for like two hours. Wow. My husband's like, Shelly, I know that you feel like this is going to change everything for you, but it's like, Hey, I don't even know what I'm supposed to say. And I'm like, so you're not supposed to say anything. You just have to exercise your priesthood (laughs) and your gift. Well, I'm telling you the moment that they were constant, they were putting the oil on and they, I'm still so nauseous. I'm barely making it from the car to the house and, and I mask it well. So most people don't know, uh, didn't know when I was that sick. And so they put their hands on my head and Again, a physical sensation down through my entire body and it was gone. And so was the pain that I had. 
I, I went to the Mayo Clinic. I, the Mayo Clinic turned me down as a patient because they couldn't help me. Mm-hmm. So, um, so how do you not call that a miracle? Right. So again, but I, I exercised the faith. I believed in Heavenly Father's plan for me. There was there was more training and, and things for me to learn. I still haven't figured out the answer for all of it, but I, I, I accept the fact that there's, there was, there, there was growth for me to, to experience that. So you're not going to always have all the answers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you had all the answers, then what's the point, right? Right. I mean, you may get an answer and then that asks answers that question. And then you have five more questions because of right. the answer that you got. I, I, I want to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, I want to know if you have a mantra uh, or a slogan, something that you, when those times get tough as they certainly have, is there, there a scripture that you quote, a, a, um, a quote from an individual that runs through your mind, something that you have on your mirror, or anything like that. I would be curious to know if that's what drives you. Plus we have uh, three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you. We'll come back and do that in the third block. Hey, you guys wanted to talk to you about a new voice app on the Amazon Alexa. It's made by the church. That is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it's geared for kids and grandkids aged four to 11. It's called the Friend Magazine Skill, and it allows your kids to play the Friend Magazine from an Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Now, here's what's cool about it. Each month, it's going to include new stories and new music from the Friend Magazine. It's, uh, you know, a thing that your kids, they know what it is. In fact, if you said, hey, kids, enable the Friend Magazine Skill, they've already done it before you even ask them. And the best part is it's free. It's built by the church, so there is no advertisements or any content that you need to worry about. And it's a fun, great way to help your kids learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's called the Friend Magazine Skill. Be sure to enable it on your Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Hi, friends. Dan, the laptop man here from PC Laptops. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop, and they start at only $29 a month. And it comes with a lifetime warranty. Just check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember you can leave a review wherever you get to the Cultural Hall and you're listening to it. Why not uh, Why not tell people about it? Uh, maybe you're not the reviewing type. Maybe you just uh, do a little copy of the URL and send it over to a friend and say, you have to check out this episode. The point is, we, you know, we, we make these episodes for you. You're listening. You're enjoying. Uh, enjoying might be the interesting word that I use there. You are riveted by Shelley's story and you think that there is someone that could g- gain great benefit from listening to it. Share that with someone else. Take some action on what you've listened to today. Shelley, mantra, do you, is that something you believe in? Something that runs through your mind in the, in the hard times? Oh yeah, there is. And, and my mother gave it to me two weeks after she died. And, and uh, it's everything will be okay. And I, I even had T-shirts made up that you can buy on my website, and the and the proceeds go to uh, a nonprofit domestic violence organization. But so there's so so there's that fundamental belief for me is everything will be okay. It's proven true time and time and time again for me. And then two scriptures, two that have always stood out for me is um is ether 1227 talking about weaknesses we all 
it's not just weaknesses, it's weakness. Mm -hmm. So fundamentally we're weak. And, and the reason we're weak is so we can be humble. And the reason we're humble is so we can be teachable. And when you're humble and teachable, then Heavenly Father can convert your weakness to strength. And that's what he's done with me in my life. And I'm still seeking after that, like President Hinckley did. To my dying breath, I will continue to be teachable and seek after truth and knowledge. The other um, scripture that has always um, stood out for me was there must needs be opposition in all things. And um, I, I mentioned I'm an engineer, so I've been trained in physics, equal and opposite forces. If you do not, if you have, and, and again, it's, it's a balancing act. If you are given, that's another principle that I learned with the equal and opposite forces is I always picture the scales of justice. So if in the right hand, um, you're getting piled on with a bunch of crap, <laughs> right? In weight, in heaviness, in obstacles, in hurt, in pain. At some time in our existence, Heavenly Father promises, it, well, there's, there's, there's justice and mercy. So the justice commands that that will be balanced with an equal and opposite force. So equal and opposite forces are universal. It's science. It's science. Yeah. So, um, so now I'm like, oh, okay. If my left hand of my scale is being piled on with crap, that means at some point in my existence, the right side's going to get offset with an equal amount of good. So, I can't say when that's going to happen for me, and I can't even expect that it's all going to happen in this life. But it could. I just need to trust that it happens and guess what it does. Yeah. So <laughs> those are my mantras. Yeah, man, such great wisdom. And for anyone who's struggling with anything, it is unlikely that that people will have even an experience that you've shared with us, let alone all of the experiences that you've shared with us today. But, you know, to know that we can, that we can trust in God, that we can believe him not believe net i mean we certainly want to believe in him but that whole point of robinson's book of of believing and trusting that he will do as he says that he will do and then beautifully walked out example of that justice right the the man i love it i love what you shared uh not all of it some of it was really hard and and uh yeah. and i encourage people to be able to uh either listen to the book or or read the entire experience i mean barely scratched the surface, I think is, is how you would probably describe our conversation today. Um, the three questions we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall are as follows. The first question is, is, do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? <laughs> Ministering sister. <laughs> nice. I, um, well, I, um, I, I, I'm also called to work in the temple, but I haven't been able to work since I got COVID. Okay. So another, another lesson yeah. in sickness. So yeah. a, a lesson that we're all still learning from in some way or another, I think. Uh, yeah. The second question is if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Um, what would I pick? Well, I love being a temple worker, but I, I would say that, um, hmm, I, I just like to serve in, in, in whatever capacity that I need to. Mm -hmm. I hate uh, you're going to laugh, but I hate speaking. Okay. <laughs> um, but I don't, I, I'm actually enjoying doing podcasts, but like to, to give a sacrament talk, it's like stressful to me. 
uh, and I, as far as teaching, I'm better one-on-one, but I, I like working with the young women and the Relief Society. And so I, I just like serving people. Yeah. So maybe well, compassionate service. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Uh, the final question we ask everyone, we ask you to interpret it however you would like. Uh, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? My favorite part of my faith is um, is knowing that the plan of salvation is real. I know that the spirit world exists because I've I've had the blessing of seeing it way more times than I talk about in the book. And so um, just the infinite potential for revelation and personal growth, I think those are my favorite things. Well, uh, we've loved having you here. And again, a link to all the things that we talked about uh, in the show notes for this episode. I encourage people to check it out or listen to it, read it. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast. We'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat.